Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our reading comes from uh, Psalm 8, 1 through 4. God, brilliant Lord, yours is a household name. Nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence their babble. I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second, second look our way? This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, we have a special guest today, and it is my joy and honor to invite him up. This is Gideon Sang. He's from... He's a pastor at Vox Vene Church, which is a sister church of ours, and he has been instrumental in my faith over the last several years, been someone who I have <laughs> probably, <laughs> I have cried with several times, I'm sure, uh, and he, along with Mark, have been such an important part of uh, my journey over the last several years, and he's an amazing person, so please welcome Gideon Singh. Thanks, Aaron. It was a nice uh, surprise to see Aaron here this morning, so... Well, good morning. Uh, everyone doing well? Yeah. Um, it's my honor to be with you all uh, this morning. I believe it's a momentous week for this community. You all are joining a larger family called the Covenant. Is that true? Yeah. Well, congratulations. Give yourselves a hand. Um, so we're also a part of that larger community, and we've been a part of it since 2011, and I think our community, we're like the weird eccentric uncle. And so welcome to our beautiful, strange, messy, amazing larger family. And so I think Mark's ordination is also getting transferred. So this is a big week. Yeah, so I'm honored to be here with you all. So this morning, um, I'd like to have a conversation or perhaps begin a conversation about art and what art tells us about the artist. So let's do this to get us started. So just turn a couple people around you. Share uh, a piece of art you're currently enjoying. So it could be a TV show, it could be a movie, it could be a painting, it could be a book. And then with this art that you're enjoying, what do you know about the artist and why? All right, I'll give you a couple minutes. Go ahead. All right. So someone want to just shout out the name of some art you're enjoying? What are we enjoying in this room? The art of silence? Anybody? You were kind of chatty a second ago. I was here. Art of a good book. Is there a book you're reading right now? Your husband's reading a good book? On what? Revelations. Oh, yeah. Good. Anybody else? Kids artwork. Yeah, very good. Your own kids? Yeah, it's pretty good, right? 
So I was thinking through this. Um, there's a Chinese artist named Ai Weiwei. Is anyone familiar? And he had a piece of art here in Austin. Maybe you've seen it on the hike and bike trail, all the bikes. So the same artist. So in the mid-90s, um, he wanted to offer commentary on the Mao regime in China when they went through the Cultural Revolution. And what Mao would say was, to build a new world, you have to destroy the old one. And so for decades, they destroyed a lot of artifacts and art at the loss of Chinese culture. So in the mid-90s, he bought a Han Dynasty urn worth several million dollars, 2,000 years old. It was probably uh, made in 200 BC. And he says, you know what that Cultural Revolution feels like? And so you can show the picture. He took this urn, $2,000, two, $2 million, 2,000 years old, and he dropped it. And so people were up in arms. What does this mean? What's the commentary about? And so just from hearing about this piece of art, what might you say about the artist? Do you have any guesses? What would it tell us about Ai Weiwei? He's anger. Good. Anybody else? Say that again. Yeah, mm-hmm, that makes a lot of sense. Anybody else? Inconsiderate. Inconsiderate, okay, yeah, good. So there's lots of sides to this. And so what I want to get us to feel for is when we observe art, what are we learning about the artist? So let's check out this next piece of art. So the person who made this, let's zoom out a little bit and go to our solar system. You see where the Earth is? Let's go out again. You see where our solar system is in the interstellar neighborhood? Let's go out one more time. In the Milky Way galaxy, that's where our interstellar neighborhood is. In a local galactic group, that's where the Milky Way is. In the supercluster, that's where our local galactic group is. So let's just keep zooming out. In the local superclusters, there's where our supercluster is. And then that's the observable universe. So when you view that piece of art, what might it tell us about the artist? He's busy. <laughs> yeah. got, a, got a lot of things going on. Yeah. Anybody else? Creative. Big. Anybody else? Enjoys his art. Good. And so this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 8. And this is a poem written by a king. And he depicts this world and the earth and us as this piece of art. And I want to walk through this psalm and just ask, what do we learn about ourselves and God in the process? So let's pick this up in verse 1. So he says, God, brilliant Lord, yours is a household name. Your artistry is so big, everyone knows your name. That's who you are. Then he starts with arguably one of the most beautiful pieces of art. What does he say? Nursing infants, gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence their babble. So let's think about a baby for a second. Think about your favorite baby. Okay. If 
you need help, we had a child dedication a couple weeks ago. These are some of our babies that we dedicated. Okay. So just pick one. Some of you may not be like human baby people, so that's totally fair. So I'll just give you this next baby. So, okay. So when you think of a baby, what do you feel? Just think of the emotion you feel. Okay? You got it? Now, when you see a baby, what sound do you make? Some of you are like, oh. Some of you are like, oh. Right? That's too much. So on the count of three, I want you to make the sound that you make when you see a baby. Ready? One, two, three. Okay? Now, how does it feel? How does it feel that perhaps when God thinks of you, that he makes that sound? Is that hard to receive? So this is a question I want to ask this morning. Why might it be hard for us to receive God's affection? Why do you think that is? So I'll give you a couple minutes. Turn to some people around you. Let's talk through that a little bit, all right? Go. So show of hands, how many of us think it's easy to receive God's affection? Like we get that sense that God makes that sound. We get some of us. How many of us think it's a little harder? Okay. Most of us, including, including myself. So let's take this one step deeper. So think of a time when you felt unlovable. Okay, think of a specific time. Okay. Now think of the person that made you feel unlovable. And I want to propose this this morning. In those moments we feel unlovable, what if it has nothing to do with our lovability? And perhaps it was just the limit of that person at that moment. They didn't have love to give. And you know what the psalm is saying? The psalm is saying that the sound of being loved can drown out the unloving voices in our lives. The sound that a baby makes when it's being loved can drown out enemy talk, can silence their babble. So I'll tell you my story. So... um, at the risk of perpetuating stereotypes, um, I love fried rice. <laughs> so we had uh, a, one of our staff turned 40 a, f- a couple months ago. And so we all went to Houston. We went to museums and ate some good food. And one of the meals we had, it was my first time, was Vietnamese crawfish. Has anyone had it before? So picture crawfish and then combine it with Vietnamese food. It's amazing. Okay, so that's our stuff. So I, when I eat crawfish, I don't have a crawfish off switch. Like some people don't have like a whiskey off switch. I don't have a crawfish off switch. So they all ordered like a few pounds of Vietnamese crawfish. And then I was looking down their menu, and then I saw Vietnamese crawfish fried rice. And I was like, there is a God. (laughs) So I ordered it, my dish came. Um, I stole like two or three pieces from each of them, uh, peeled it onto my dish of fried rice, took some of their Vietnamese crawfish sauce, put it on my fried rice. And it, uh, it was, I've thought about that meal once a day for the last two months. Okay. So I love fried rice. So when I was in third grade, I also loved fried rice. 
And we were having it one night, and my mom, we had some leftovers. So my mother was like, oh, Gideon, would you like, I can pack this for lunch tomorrow. I was like, what? We can? She's like, yes, I'll put it in a thermos. It'll still be hot. I'm like, oh, that would be amazing. So woke up the next morning excited. I was going to have a sweet lunch. Went to school, super excited. So my sister and I, we were the only uh, Asian kids at the school, and it was a small school. And so for the first two periods, all I could think of was my lunch. And then we didn't have a lunchroom. We just had backpacks around the room. The bell went off, and I was like, it's lunchtime. I grabbed my backpack, took the thermos out. And I remember sitting down being so excited. I took the first lid off, you know, the first cap. And then you've got the second cap that keeps the heat in there. And I remember the sound and the smell of the steam coming up, hitting my nose, and I was so happy. And at that same moment, it released into the room, and a kid next to me goes, Ew, what's that smell? And I go, fried rice. And he goes, fried lice? And then the whole class starts chanting, fried lice, fried lice. And I can't think of a moment of going from such excitement and anticipation to just utter despair. I remember sitting there eating my fried rice, salting my rice with my tears, just like. But I thought in that moment that, oh, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with my culture. Something's wrong with my food. And as, adult, as an adult, I can look back now and realize, oh, there was nothing wrong with me. There was nothing wrong with my food. Nothing wrong with my culture. In that moment, that kid just didn't have love to give. That was it. It had no commentary on my lovability. And what the psalm says is that the sound of being loved can drown out the unloving voices in our life. And so for us this morning, what might be those unloving voices? Maybe it's a coworker family member, it's our family of origin. For me, it's mainly my own voice. So let's try it this week as a spiritual practice. Let's try asking this question. So think of something you're not good at. Okay, is there something like, oh, I wish I was, like, you kind of beat yourself up. Oh, I wish I was better at that. All right, think of one specific thing. You got it? So what are babies not good at? Everything. Babies are literally good at, like, not good at everything. But they're utterly loved. So you guys have been going through the Beatitudes, and this week was supposed to be, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I think sometimes we mistakenly talk about that as something to do to be more moral, to be more of a better person. I think this means being like a baby. When you're not acting, you're not trying, you're not striving, and you're utterly loved, and you'll see God. And so this week, remember, like infants and toddlers, we're loved for the things we're not good at. All right, let's keep going here. Verse 3. 
So as I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, I like that. The moon, stars mounted in their setting. Like think of the most beautiful place you can think of. The stars, the sky, the mountains, the ocean. And then the poet says, then I look at myself, my small self, and wonder why, why? Like we get to be a part of this? Are you kidding me? Why do you bother with us? Why do you take a second look our way? This world is so beautiful. Could it be true that we're actually that beautiful? Is that even possible? So let's try this. Think of the most beautiful place you've ever been. Okay, you got it? Like picture it. Stand in that place. So take a picture of that place. Okay, you got it? Now frame it. Now take out this picture and just take like a deep breath because of its beauty. Just like, can you picture how beautiful it is? Now put yourself in the picture, your face. Better or worse? And this poet is like, are you kidding me? The, the scale and the depth of that beauty, us too, that's what he's saying. So let's try this. So in Genesis 1, our origin poem, right? So this is before science, and the ancients would tell these stories in these poems, and they're trying to capture what they think God feels about us, right? That's what Genesis 1 is about. So in Genesis 1, uh, there's one word that's repeated over and over. There's a rhythm. There's a cadence to it. What's that word? And it is good, right? So we're going to try this together. I want us to capture what Genesis 1 feels like. Okay. So we're going to require some participation. So we're going to kind of walk through what Genesis 1 talks about. I'm going to let you choose a thing. So one person has to yell the thing out. Okay. And then we're all going to respond together. You'll get the hang of it. So let's try the first one. So it says, let there be light, right? So do you prefer a sunrise or a sunset? Someone just yell it out. Sunset. And together we'll say, oh, so good. Got it? Okay, let's keep going. Now, favorite body of water. God separates the land from the seas. What's your favorite body of water? What was that? Lake LBJ. Lake LBJ. Together, so good. Let's keep going. Favorite fruit? Apples. So good. Favorite constellation of stars? Big Dipper. So good. Favorite bird? Duck. So good. Favorite animal? What was that? Black Lab. So good. Favorite sea animal? Dolphin. So good. The moment you were born, picture the picture. Picture the moment, your, your first, your youngest picture, and on the count of three. So very good. Now look around the room. Make eye contact with someone. On the count of three, ready? So very good. And this is what this poet is saying. Like the beauty of the world, we're included in that. That's insane. All right, let's go one step deeper here. So I, in my opinion, uh, this spring and summer, early summer, is the most beautiful I've seen Austin in 20 years. Some of you agree? 
Like the, it's lush. It feels tropical. There's wildflowers everywhere, right? Why is Austin so beautiful this year? Rain. Thunderstorms. And I want to propose something. Perhaps in nature, thunderstorms can heal and bring life. Is that true? Right? And perhaps, like nature, our thunderstorms can heal and bring life and beauty. Do you remember the tornado warning two weeks ago? Remember that? It was pretty epic. And so that, it was a Sunday, and that night, uh, I had a friend who was having, having a really, really bad day. He was going through his, his life. The bottom just fell out. And so he had spent the day crying, and I went over, and we called a couple friends, and we were just with him and kind of crying together and just being with him. And then we found out he hadn't eaten in two days, so we dragged him out of the house where we can get you some food. And we're like, what's the most comforting food we can get him? So we took him to Hoover's. We had some chicken fried steak, some green beans, and some cheese grits, and kind of like, you know, try to comfort him a little bit. And he was still just, you know, really, really sad. And as we were finishing the peach cobbler, we were like, you need dessert. Peach cobbler, more peach cobbler. And as we finished, we were about to leave, and then the storm rolls in. And you remember, it got dark. The heavens opened. Rain, it was like so windy, the rain was going sideways. And so I don't know if you've been to Hoover's, but outside the glass doors, there's two benches. It was raining too hard, we couldn't go to the car. And so uh, he sat down on the bench. I kind of stood on it. And then he just started weeping next to me. And I started tearing up a little bit, crying. And in that moment, it's hard to describe how, how profound a moment it felt like. Because as we were crying and weeping, it felt like the heavens were crying with us and that we weren't alone. And that perhaps over time, even our thunderstorms can heal and bring life. Is that possible? And so maybe a spiritual practice for us this week can be think of a thunderstorm that you're going through in your life. Maybe it's work, maybe it's family stuff, maybe it's health, it's a relationship. And remember that you're not alone, that if you look around in this room, every single one of us has our version right now. And when you're ready, sometimes we're not ready to ask this question, but just ask, how might this thunderstorm, what, what might it be healing in this moment? What new life might it be bringing? For some of us as parents, this is a great conversation to have with your kids. Just say, hey, this is a thunderstorm I went through five years ago. This is how hard it was. This is how devastating. But in hindsight, this is what was healed. This is what some new life that was brought forth. All right, let's finish up here. Verse 5. So he says this, Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods. We have divine DNA. We're made in God's image. Bright with Eden's dawn light, you put us in charge of your handcrafted world, this artisan world that you made. It's beautiful. Then you repeated us your Genesis charge. It's good. It's good. Help me keep it good. Made us care for sheep and cattle, even animals out in the wild, birds flying, fish swimming, whales singing in the ocean deep. 
God, brilliant Lord, your name echoes, echoes around the world. And he's saying this world is so beautiful, and you made us participants and collaborators to keep this Genesis charge to make this world good and beautiful and to continue that. And so this psalm was actually the psalm from the lectionary last Sunday. And last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. So I'm going to get nerdy for a second. Is that cool? Just like a couple minutes. Just give me a couple minutes here. All right? Is that cool? Okay. So if you can follow. So human beings are limited, right? So human beings, there's more we don't know than we know. Correct? Okay. So human beings, when we talk about things we don't know, we have to use something we know to point at the thing we don't know. It's called a metaphor, right? You can't talk about something you don't know, right? So when things are bigger than us, we have to say it is like. So for, I'll give you an example, like love. You can't say love is. You have to say love is like. When we talk about God, you can't say God is. You have to say God is like. So for centuries, the church would talk about God, and he's so big, so transcendent. The main metaphor they would use was, God is, ah, it's so big, so transcendent. It's like three persons in one. Like, that's the only way we can describe it, and we call it the Trinity, right? And I wonder if the Trinity is a way to teach us how to be in the world. So we have the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and it's the space between them, their love, their care, their dependency on each other. And maybe it's trying to show us how humans, we should engage the world. Go to the next slide. That the way we enter the world is to love, depend, and care for each other, other humans, the earth, animals, this is what this poem is saying. So I'll give you an example. So... Um, I have two dogs at home. Uh, we got Mochi, I got a picture of her, when she was weeks old. And then we took her home, she was super cute, and then the older she got, the crazier she got. Some of you have been there. And so, it was fine, we basically had a toddler puppy who was just like, ah! But the problem was, at that time, we, I had my own toddler named Noah, and I didn't have time to take care of a dog toddler. So our strategy, my wife and I, we wanted to find an older, calm dog to calm Mochi down. So my wife started going to the pound to the rescue, and then one day she calls me. She's like, oh, I found the perfect dog. She's older. She has perfect energy. She's like, can you come meet her? And I was like, no, today's kind of busy. Let's go tomorrow. So we set up a time. We get there. I meet Trixie. And her energy was just so calm, so beautiful. And we're like, this is perfect. We should adopt her. So as we're saying this, a lady comes out with paperwork, and she had just adopted Trixie. And we watched them walk off. We're like, no. So I chase her down. I uh, write down my phone number. And I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Probably you're not going to need it. But if, in case anything changes, call me. So we go home. We forget about it. A month later, I get a phone call, and she, the woman's like, hey, I'm Trixie's owner. I don't know if you remember. I was like, I do remember. She's like, well, I got a new job. I can't take care of Trixie anymore. Do you want her? We're like, yes. So we went, we brought her home, 
and she's the perfect dog. So I have a video that the video's not going to work, but you kind of get a glimpse of the top of her head. So um, it worked. So Mochi would wake up in the morning. It's like, ah, let's play. Let's be crazy. And then uh, Trixie would just wrestle her down and pin her to the ground and basically say, no, <laughs> no. And it worked, and it calmed her down totally. Every day when we come home, she recognizes our car, our bikes. Uh, she sings when we come through the gate. She goes, ah, every day. And perhaps the most helpful thing and beautiful and uh, also very disgusting, uh, she cleans Mochi's eyes and ears. She's like, oh, so stinky. Ah, just licks it off. I had a video, but it's not going to. So you could say in our family, in our family, maybe it works like this. We've got my family. Then we have Mochi. We have Trixie. And maybe in your family, maybe you have your mom, your sister, you. And what this poem is saying is we have us and this earth and animals. And maybe our way in this world for vine, maybe it's God, the vine, and our neighbor. That's how we enter into the world. And maybe as a family here at the vine, maybe it looks like this. We have the kids. Some of the kids are here. We have our youth. We have the adults. And what would it look like for us to see ourselves as collaborators, that God has made this beautiful art project, we get to be a part of it. And he says, now go, go, continue this Genesis charge. And so this is my prayer for us this morning. It's a poem by Mary Oliver. And she says this. I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep, half asleep in the sun? Does the opossum pray as it crosses the street? The sunflowers, the old black oak growing older every year. I know I can walk through the world along the shore under the trees with my mind filled with things of little importance in full self-attendance. Condition I can't really call being alive. Is a prayer a gift or a petition or does it matter? The sunflowers blaze. Maybe that's their way. Maybe the cats are sound asleep. Maybe not. While I was thinking this, I happened to be standing just outside my door with my notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning. Then a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why. And yet, why not? I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't. That's your business. But I thought of the wren singing. What could this be if it isn't a prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. And we pray this in the beauty of God, the creativity of Christ, and the collaboration of the Holy Spirit. Amen.